0: Um, today's reading is from Isaiah forty, verses
1: twelve
0: to
1: thirty two. Is it thirty two or thirty one? Twelve thirty two, Oh, I've only got to thirty one.
0: Well, we'll have to thirty one then. <laughs> 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 Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand, marked off the heavens? Who has held dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it in, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker and set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Annie.
0: So, now, to the meaty question, does science have all the answers? Please welcome Karen Hale. i am just, would you like me to drop that a bit? What's that? Do you want me to drop the level of this? Yeah, uh, okay, no. right. Good, that's, that's
1: Well thank you Annie for that reading and in some ways I could really stop now, couldn't I? You could just go and read that which I would encourage you to read again this week um, because I'm not really going to be doing justice to that. In some ways I think it speaks so well for itself. Does science have all the answers? Well I can still remember the first landing on the moon. I was only six years old Uh, It was very significant for me and it's one of those few early memories of my childhood that are very clear. We had recently got a black and white TV in my household and I was actually allowed to stay home from school. I think it was because our school actually only had one TV um, at that stage, so I think they were very glad for kids to stay home and I'm sure the TV was only about this big anyway. The picture wasn't great. But as a child I thought, we can do anything To me, the moon was the end of the Earth. It was the end of the universe, as it seemed. And it was a real milestone in regards to the achievements of humanity. And I think it will be remembered as one of the greatest events of the 20th century, the space revolution. But going back a few hundred years from then to the 15th and 16th century, there was a theological revolution with the Reformation. Now theology is simply the study of God and his relationship with the world. It seems like a tricky word, but actually it's quite a practical word. However, hot on the heels of this theological revolution was a scientific revolution. In the 17th and 18th century, this revolution emerged. And science is actually really a systematic study of both the natural and physical world. And it includes all those subjects you might remember or are doing at school: chemistry, physics, biology, um, astronomy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's lots of them. Now, this period of time, the 17th and 18th century, became known as the Enlightenment. And this was an intellectual movement, and it was definitely influenced by science thought and science ways. It's a movement that's based on reason but a shift occurred at this time. Rationalism, reason, was now deriving its base from science, not from religion. Science believed at this stage it could reveal nature as it truly is. So to many it meant that God was out and science was in, a time when many replaced God with science. The debate between science and God, between science and faith, science and Christianity, it's been around for quite a while. In the 21st century, it seems, we've taken a step further. Many would now say that science actually has all the answers. We need nothing else. So the question posed, do we think that science has all the answers? So in the past, as you can see up here, um, as I said, theology definitely was the queen of science. In fact, science came out of theology. I like to remind my science friends of that at school quite regularly um, because it is actually really important to remember science emerged from theology. And in fact, many of the great scientists from those early phases were Christian people. Theology set all the rules though in the past. Um, What was right and wrong? Who was in the top spot? So actually, if you wanna go back um, a slide, thanks. And this is seen um, with Galileo in the 16th century. Some of you may be aware of this story, some may not be. But Galileo said that the Earth was not the center of the universe. In fact, the sun was, and that the Earth revolved around the sun. The problem was, for Galileo, that the church in the 16th century had the say about what was right and what was wrong. Galileo was just making observations. He built a telescope, and from his telescope he concluded that, in fact, the earth was not the centre. But the church said, no, 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 there's verses in the Bible, things like from Isaiah 45, that says, so from the rising of the sun to its setting, and there are other verses like that. So the church says no you're wrong Galileo uh, and consequently he was put under house arrest as a heretic um, where he stayed for the rest of his life he kept doing science many years later as you would all know uh, it was proved to be correct his observations and his findings but for Galileo the church had all the power and made all the decisions Now in the next slide, someone else who's very famous in the past, but we're moving to the 19th century, is Darwin, who I'm sure you've all heard of. And he worked in the Galapagos Island, and particularly his work on finches. He made many observations, again, like Galileo, and reported what he found. That's what all good scientists should do. And he observed what became known as the survival of the fittest, although it's actually important to know that was Herbert Spencer who came up with that phrase, not uh, not Darwin. He found that in nature there is natural selection. Things and adaptations that work well for something will mean they survive better and ones that don't mean they'll die out. And so you do get this idea of adaptation and survival, which happens over a very, very long period of time. He came up with a number of reasons for this and he actually had no idea that he would leave such a storm of controversy around his observations. And Darwin said, I was a young man with uninformed ideas. I threw out to the people guesses, suggestions, wondering all the time over everything. And to my astonishment, the ideas took like fire. People made a religion of them. Darwin did not necessarily see that his findings conflicted with his belief in God. It's all very debated about what he did and didn't believe, but he didn't see a conflict but others did. Others took his words as evidence that God did not exist or simply, they didn't need God anymore. Nature was in charge. The theory of evolution grew momentum and this theory, particularly in its early days, completely left God out altogether. So throughout history, science and God have had a little bit of a rocky road Although theology started out on top as the queen of science, in our secular society today, that is definitely not the case. Today, society questions any relevance that God might have on our lives. So the debate that we're talking about today is not a new one, it's actually quite an old one. Well, science is all about proof, observations, experimentations, and proof. This idea of seeing is believing, but to see is not always to believe and to believe you don't always have to see. Some people will throw out a challenge to God and to us, prove that he exists and I will believe. But I think the question we need to then stop and ask people before that is, can science prove everything? Does science actually have all the answers? Is science able to analyze, calculate, predict, and solve everything? Can it conclusively prove everything we want it to? Some people, and I'm sure you might be even one of those sitting here today, but some people will say that unless you can prove something, then I'm not going to accept it. But actually, some things, in fact many things, we can't prove, not in a scientific proof form. Can science actually prove that I love my husband, my children, and my grandchildren? No. Can science prove that the band, the people singing and playing today were good? And they were, and they are. No. Can science even conclusively prove that Mozart wrote all his music? No, and I could go on and on. No, science can't prove them but they can all still be true. We can all believe things that we can't prove. Some things in life are outside the sphere of science. Science doesn't answer any everything. Science does not have a monopoly on truth. It doesn't have all the answers. So we don't have to see everything to believe it and we don't have to prove everything for it to be true. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In Jesus' public ministry, wanting signs was something that happens quite often. People asked of Jesus. Jews, Sadducees, Pharisees, they wanted proof of who he was. Perhaps they wanted him to produce a bit more food in their presence or a healing, perhaps raising some from the dead. Maybe they even wanted him to sort of fly or something. I don't know, but they wanted signs. Jesus' response was always the same. You've been given enough. You don't need signs or proof, because Jesus said, here I am. Jesus, the son of God, did not feel compelled to have to prove everything and neither should we. We're in good company when we honestly admit at times we can't prove something. However, that doesn't mean we don't provide sound arguments about our beliefs. So don't let people make you feel inadequate because you can't prove something. Likewise, if you are somebody who isn't believing because you don't believe it could be proved, then can I challenge you that I think you're making a mistake because many important things can't be proved in that way. Well science answers lots of questions but particularly it answers how questions, not really the why questions, the deep why questions. Have you ever had that experience? There is a funny commercial on TV, well it was on, where. kid asks his dad something and then he goes into this very big sort of sex ed little thing and the poor kids, I don't even know what the ad's for, but the poor kids in the back of the car just sort of traumatized because he actually just wanted a simple answer and I'm sure we've all had that experience when we ask for a straightforward answer and we get some complicated complicated reply. Well if science is supposed to answer everything, what does it say about some of the important issues in our lives? What does it say about our origins? It may talk about the Big Bang Theory, this theory of how we evolved, and it's a very you know, one in billion chance that we exist. It's all you know, really fascinating and interesting. But what does it say about why we are here? What does science say about our destiny? Well, we become food for the worms. From dust to dust or maybe a bit like the Lion King, the circle of life idea. But what does it, what does science have to say about hope? Is there a future behind this life? What does science have to say about our worth? Well, actually, it's about five or six dollars if you wanna look at all the chemicals that we, and minerals, we don't have, well, unless you're one of those people with gold in your teeth, you'd be worth a little bit more than that, but the rest of us are not actually worth financially very much. But that's not our worth and that's not our purpose. Our past, our present and future really don't have a lot of meaning in science. We came, we are, we go. So from a science perspective, some of this is a little bit depressing if we just focus on the answers that they might give. But that's because science only answers parts of the questions. Science has actually taught us so much. But a lot of it is about the how, not the why. Science doesn't talk about why I'm here, doesn't talk about what is my purpose, and it doesn't talk about where did I come from in that full sense of the word. Science also answers even the why questions quite differently. Why is the kettle boiling? Well, if I put on my lab coat and I was talking to my year seven class, which we did quite recently, I'd talk about how the heat energy would cause the particles in the water to actually vibrate. Raddy 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 rah. I'd go on about all of that and they'd sort of look at me and go, yeah, that all makes sense. Or I could just say, I would like a cup of tea. Both answers are true and correct, but they have very different answers for that why. So I think science needs to stick to its field of expertise in answering questions about how things work. How was I made? How does a clock work? How does the universe work? How can I save lives? All very good questions that science has much to say. But likewise, theologians also should stick to their areas of expertise as well. Science, when it gets out of hand, leads to, I think, a godless society with no hope and no meaning. But theology and theologians, when they try to answer every question from the Bible in particular, can become very unhelpful. Galileo was arrested for reporting what he observed. And many other scientists over history have had their beliefs brought into question because they dared to report what they found. The creation evolution debate that still goes on, much more I'd say in America, but still here as well, uh, is very divisive and emotive, and I don't think the Bible, in particular the Genesis account, which is a whole other conversation, I'm happy to talk about to people after the service. I don't think the Genesis account is primarily concerned with how God created, but that He did the who, the who behind creation, God, and that He did it for a purpose, the why. And his purpose was to bring humanity into relationship with him. So don't mix up the questions. If you wanna know how the kettle boils in terms of that particle idea, then I suggest you do ask a scientist. If you want to know why the kettle is on, you could possibly just ask anyone. More importantly, if you wanna know the answers to the meaning of life, our purpose, our destiny, then ask God and read the Bible. You don't ask science. We need to remember that God is our creator and sustainer of this world. And there are many great discoveries that have happened this century. And science has made enormous contributions um, in our world. I'm on actually the board of ISCAST, which focuses on engaging people in conversation between the Christian faith and the scientists, and sciences, sorry. And if you're interested or this topic is sparked something for you, I suggest you go to their website. We have oodles of um, material on there um, and amazing speakers from all over the world that you will find, I think, particularly engaging. There are many great scientists that are committed Christians in the past and the present. One in the present is Francis Collins, which some of you may have heard of. He was uh, one of the key people in the Human Genome Project. He's an amazing speaker, very committed Christian and very clear about his faith. Closer to home, we have someone like Graham Clark, who is a committed Christian, um, been involved in the bionic ear. These scientists have managed to keep science in perspective. How have they done that? Well, I think wisdom is needed. Not any wisdom, but I believe God's wisdom. Science left in a vacuum, as I said, is very dangerous and can be really badly used. We create and we learn how things work, but sometimes we don't ask why or even if they should be used. One of the great people of wisdom talked about in the Bible is Solomon in 1 Kings. But it's very clear that that was not Solomon's wisdom, but God's. Very clearly it says, God gave Solomon wisdom. He was a gifted man, and he's known, and he was known from all over the world for his ability of wisdom. He seems to have known and understood a lot about the world and the way it works. But his knowledge was applied wisely. That is why he was thought to be so remarkable and his wisdom came from God, so he could discern what was right and what was wrong. Science isn't the queen anymore, but I would argue nor is theology, God is. We've had two uh, readings today, which I would encourage people to reflect on over the coming week. Psalm eight that was read at the beginning of the service which I think really reminds us about the amazing place that God has given us in this wonderful creation of his. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is humankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them, You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God is all powerful and all knowing. He is the great scientist. He made us in his image and has given us the responsibility to look after this amazing world. Science is part of that endeavor. But God must not be forgotten. As the reading from Isaiah reminded us, we must focus our attention on God. From Isaiah 40, do you not know? Have you not heard? They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So just to finish up, truth does not have to be proved scientifically to be true or to be believed. Science clearly has a lot to offer for all of us. I love teaching science. I find it engaging and enthralling. Theology has a lot to teach and offer us. So when we study science to get answers, that's great. But we need to study God's word to get answers equally. We need wisdom. Wisdom, I believe, is always needed. So we ask the right questions to the right people. And we always must keep things in perspective under God as our maker, creator, and sustainer. So let none of us become proud and arrogant and think we know it all and forget our place in God's amazing creation.